Hey everybody, Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. Thank you so much for joining us here. We have a really important broadcast today on all our networks that we go out to, from Red State Talk Radio to Global Star Radio Network, KYH, and all the affiliates. Podcasts, hey, we're all glad you're with us. No matter where you're listening to us from, we're going to ask you to digitally share this interview that we have with Kevin Annette. Kevin, Kevin really is on top of what's going on in British Columbia, plus other issues. He's got a background as an activist. He uh, was a clergyman who got kicked out for exposing the murders of Indian children, native children in Canada. And I remember the case fairly well. And he's taken on the Pope in the past. And uh, let's just put it this way. Um, He's no stranger to standing up to authority. And he's got his hands full right now. We've had major communication problems between us through no fault of Kevin or myself. So it's really interesting. But anyway, um, we want to get right down to business here because what's going on in Canada is going to affect us, in my opinion, at least militarily in the coming uh, months. Uh, And I don't think we have a year. Kevin, welcome to the show. I'm glad you could join us. And uh, so what's going on in British Columbia that my listeners in America should should be concerned about? Well, I mean, it's... A complete takeover by the Chinese economically, politically. It goes to everything from seeing joint military maneuvers of the Chinese and Canadian navies to the head of Canadian Security Intelligence Service 10 years ago said that the British Columbia government has already been infiltrated and taken over by Beijing. And the Trudeau government, when they got elected a few years ago, the first thing they did is they brought in a thing called the Foreign Investment Protection Act, which actually allows China to uh, station their troops on Canadian soil because the Chinese investment in the BC economy has increased 15 times in the last decade and they especially are after the liquid natural gas and the you know the other resources in that area the, China has announced they're going to switch from a coal based economy to liquid natural gas and it's all coming out of BC and the interesting thing is where the LNG pipeline is running is exactly where so many native families go missing all the time. It's called the Highway of Tears. And we know from journalists and other people up there, including police, that the Chinese are behind a lot of those disappearances, working with the RCMP to do what you know has been done for a long time, driving native people off their land, but definitely now coming from, from China. So am I, am I catching the drift right? Uh, people are being eliminated or disappeared so their lands become available to the Chinese? Well, yeah, it's a long practice, actually. Um, I first, 30 years ago, when I began to work in the native world, you'd meet a lot of homeless natives on the street who had the story that they were driven off their land by their own chiefs in the pay of various companies. Um, But now those companies are, by and large, Chinese-based. Canada actually switched from having America as its biggest... uh, uh, importer of Canadian oil and gas to China now. And China is now the largest investor in Canada. So a big part of that is, you know, the, the native people still occupy a lot of these lands and they're right in the way of it, so they get targeted. I want to run a, a theory by you. I've, I've had told to me by a couple of different people, and one of them was a climatologist. He, he said that we're seeing a, a small shift in the North Pole um, and he said, Dave, we, we actually responded to this back 15 years ago and we changed north-south runways by about one degree in North America. He said, but the resulting melting ice is going to give Canada the biggest freshwater supply in the world 
and they want China as their muscle to protect their investment. Um, do, do you know anything about this at all? Well, you know, I've, over the years, I've heard of things like the North American uh, Water and Power uh, Alliance, which was a plan to divert most Canadian water down to the southern states. That never got off the ground, although there was attempts to do that. Um, yeah, Canada is, is uh, it wouldn't at all surprise me, because Canada is primarily needed by both the U.S. and China for its water, hydroelectricity, uranium, oil, natural gas, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, you know, we've been the resource base for the British and the Americans and now the Chinese for a long time. So it's, none of that is at all um, surprising. And you mentioned that there's been infiltration of China into the government. Can you talk uh, specifically about that as far as how high it goes and how they accomplish the goal? Well, it's Richard Fadden, who is head of CSIS. Um, they're kind of like Canada's CIA. Um, he said they had solid proof that the top members of the British Columbia cabinet, including the ministers responsible for forestry and minerals, were Chinese citizens. They weren't even Canadian citizens. It turns out to be true. Um, another thing that he uncovered, which um, he was severely reprimanded, as a matter of fact, he was forced out of his position um, a month after making these allegations. But we found out through his office that the one of the generals responsible for organ trafficking in the, in China, you know, where they kill a lot of people in prison and traffic their organs, the same general sitting on the board of directors of the PetroChina affiliate that owns all these LNG sites. Now, when I was working as a street minister in, in the 90s in Vancouver, we'd have a lot of people describing how there was a former RCMP officer who said that when the first bodies of these women who disappeared were found, they were missing organs. But that oh was swabbed out of the police and the court reports. And so I think there's a direct tie-in, you know, with that whole that whole agency, too. Is it a wink and a nod kind of relationship Canada has with organ trafficking in China and Canada? Or do you think there is direct uh, participation? Well, there's direct participation, including from the big pharma companies. For example, they they uh, there's been some articles uh written recently about how Pfizer, for example, uh, does tissue sampling uh, for organs that are obtained in China. I mean, the big firm is directly tied into the whole human and organ trafficking industry. And the West Coast, including the uh, Northwest Pacific Northwest Coast of America, is one of the heaviest human trafficking ports in the world, Seattle and Vancouver. Uh, the UN did a report in the 90s saying that Vancouver was the third most uh, of cities in the world. Uh, the third highest incident of people going missing, people being trafficked out of the port. And I know for um, having worked in the downtown area there, right near the, the waterfront, that uh, the, the people who work there regularly talk about the false hauled ships that come in carrying people in and out of the country all the time, right? Um, the Indian reservations are used uh, to bring drugs and people all the time because they're kind of isolated on the west coast of Vancouver Island. So I mean, it's it's well known. It's kind of like you know living in Chicago under Al Capone. Like everybody knows it, but he's in charge. So who are you going to go up against them, right? Yeah. Well, and clearly Trudeau's caught in this trap. Oh, he's directly complicit. He should be on charge, uh, put on trial for treason for what he's done. Interesting, but uh, you know, I see exchanges every now and then in the various um, legislative houses in the various provinces 
and I see exchanges that go like this. Um, someone is questioning a position, an administrator from the Canadian government about Chinese involvement and how deep it goes. And they never answer the question. And when the, no. uh, when the representative becomes uh, more persistent, they cut his mic off. And I, I've seen that probably a half dozen times. Yeah, that shows you how high it is. It's an official level, this stuff operating. Um, you know, so it, 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 it when in, in Vancouver, where you when you raise this issue at all, you're immediately accused of being anti-Asian or, or racist, of course. rather than saying, you know, that it's it's really a fact. I mean, we're not making this stuff up, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, here we are in the lower 48. We're well conditioned to an opposing view automatically makes you a racist. We already know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we have seen that. that. That's absolutely incredible. And it's amazing they call you racist. Is it racist against the Chinese because you're protecting Native Americans? Is that what they're getting at? Well, you know, it can be twisted any way they like, but mm -hmm. um, people here see the way the wind's blowing. And in fact, uh, a lot of the people I know, including Native people, are moving out of the province because of the degree of penetration going on. Uh, I remember 15 years ago, there was a native couple who was working in Vancouver, and they said that up in, again, around Prince George and Prince Rupert, which is a super port on the west coast beneath Alaska there, uh, Prince Rupert has been developed by Chinese money, and it's through that port that a lot of illegal Chinese immigrants are coming in. They're, they're really colonizing all of northern B.C. with illegal Chinese immigrants, and the Canadian government turns the, you know, a blind eye to it. Sure. Are they, are they actually soldiers? There, there is military, yes, but often they're plain clothes, so they're not observable. I had a, a friend, um, Merv Ritchie, who's a journalist up in Terrace, British Columbia, and he ran a series of articles on what he had observed of the Chinese operating. Well, the RCMP came in and, and arrested him. They had him in jail for two months. They were harassing him on trumped-up charges. They shut down his publication. Um, you know, so, I mean, it, it's a well-known fact, but where do you take it? Because the media is so controlled, uh, totally in, in Canada. Yeah, and, and you're in Canada, would you be considered to be what we call the alternative media here in America? We try to be, but, but even the alternative media in Canada is heavily, um, well, th their memory is swapped. They don't really understand where a lot of this stuff ca came from. And um, they, they, there are certain issues that even they don't touch, having to do with, for example, the, the, how I got started in this work, you know, about the, the murder of children in these Indian schools run by the churches. Nobody wants to talk, touch that topic, right? And it partly is the Canadian mentality. It's kind of that British belief that, uh, you know, you're you're a traitor if you challenge the church and state, whereas I know when I lecture in America, people get all interested when I say I've gone up against my own government. So, you know, it's a different mentality for sure. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is, and, and I've... I'm surprised there's not been more. I, I always thought of can Canadians were the uh, rugged individualists, uh, and that was their national trait among males particularly. And I'm surprised, given my previous stereotype, that there's not been more of a pushback to the tyranny that I am seeing. Um, but there, I want to ask you about this court case because we're getting it here in the States, and it's out of, um, gosh, I think it was Ottawa. It was Ottawa. A gentleman got fined $11,000. He was given a summons for violating the meetings rule about no more than 10 people, and he was leading a protest. And he went to court, and for part of his discovery, and he was representing himself pro se, he asked for an isolated COVID uh, sample 
so he could make the case there was no such thing therefore no reason to have these restrictions and when the uh, prosecution said we can't produce the evidence the judge dismissed the charges are you aware of that case i am yeah that was in alberta yeah is there anything that we should know about that case beyond what i've said because you know i don't know how much we're getting censored out well, the thing about the courts in Canada is that there, there's absolutely no independence of the judiciary. They're all appointed. Um, and to give you an example, a lot of the laws in Canada are never passed in Parliament. Uh, they're debated in, in what's called the Privy Council, which is the old colonial body. And the, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in Canada sits on the Privy Council. You know, it's like the old boys club running the courts, running the, the executive branch. And... The, they can nullify any court decision anywhere, and every judge knows that, so they all play the game. It's like when we tried to bring charges against the churches for genocide and, and the government and the crown. They all threw it out. Um, they were protecting their boss, right? So it's the same with this case. Yeah, they, they, um, it's good the judge threw out the case, but there won't be any legal consequence of that. Just like you know, they agreed that over 60,000 children died in these Indian schools, and yet no one has ever been prosecuted for it, because they're not allowed to go against church and state. So it's it's that whole dilemma, you know, of these, these, these precedents. Are you seeing a duplicity with regard to, like, Chinese immigrants coming in, and they don't have to go into quarantine like a foreign visitor would have to? Oh, that's right. That that happens all the time, you see. I mean, Canada's had a law for many years that if you pay 100000 bucks up front year-end, you don't have to do any testing, any quarantining, any, any of that. Um, and we saw in the late 90s when Hong Kong uh, reverted to China, there was a massive infusion of Hong Kong investment money, and it created a huge amount of homelessness. Vancouver is now one of the most expensive cities in the world to live in. And it's all because of that Chinese invasion of, of money and everything. So it's, um, you know, it's so out in the open, right? It, it's, it can't be denied, and yet people, being Canadians, they don't feel they have the right to do anything about it. That just runs contrary to what I, I thought Canadians would do. I, I thought they'd be in the street, and, you know, I thought there'd be major protests. Is Canada basically acquiescing to the uh, illegitimate authority being imposed upon them? Pretty much, although um, it's different in Quebec. In French Canada, there were 100,000 people in Montreal protesting. Um, yeah, things tend to be, politics tend to be more kind of uh, in the street there, more unpredictable. But English Canadians have that real fear of authority. You know, the anecdote I like to use is when I was a teenager, I got um, stopped for jaywalking by a cop and when he was giving me the ticket all the people were kind of looking at me like I was a leper and they were avoiding they were giving us like a five foot spread on either side because I had broken the law when the same thing happened to me in Manhattan I remember a crowd formed and they were all yelling at the cop right like what are you doing to this guy right leave him alone and it shows you the different attitude to authority like I don't want to generalize because I know there's you know exceptions to that but it's the tendency that Canadians have been raised not the term in Canada is you're a subject of the crown you're not a citizen you're a subject and so you don't have any rights except what's given to you right and it can be taken away okay that's slave thinking right yeah the the communitarian legal principle you have rights as long as we grant them to you and we can withdraw them at any time right 
it's not common law, it's that old Roman idea. That, yeah, unlike the United States where ideally, and this is not being practiced, but your rights are ordained by God and government can't grant rights nor can they take them away. That's that's the right. theoretical approach here. But I understand, yeah, we see communitarian law all through Europe. I, I, and, I, and I should have known that uh, Canada is following that, that mandate as well, too. So any protest basically makes one a criminal. Right. It's that's because of people know that, and the protests here tend to be very ritualized, very calm, very nice. Um, you know, and they don't they, they exclude. I mean, for example, when I we began to organize these common law republic assemblies, where we said, look, we can pass our own laws, we can knock down these COVID measures, people can form these assemblies. They wouldn't let me speak at any of the rallies. Um, literally, I was blackballed even in in the protests because you know they they thought it might bring too much heat on them. If we started talking about, well, we can defy authority, we can replace it, you know, that whole Republican notion is just anathema in Canada. Like people are frightened of that idea of self-governance, right? That is, I, I just, like I said, I'm still shocked by this. How is the Canadian military responding to this autocratic regime and what they're being asked to do? I'm not sure. I don't have direct contact with them. I've had, I've known soldiers. I mean, it, again, every soldier, every member of parliament, every judge, they all take an oath of allegiance to Queen Elizabeth and her descendants, period. Not to a constitution, not to the people, nothing. To a, a foreign woman over in London. And um, they're bound by that, that, mm. that oath of that criminally convicted monarch. So, I mean... Um, that makes everybody, um, it's like when you're an Indian and you're on reservation, you're not a citizen, you're a ward of the state. So you're like a child under the law who can be arrested, killed. You can't refuse medical treatment or, or, or vaccinations. That's been the way for Canada for 150 years. So everyone knows to toe the line because it's that regime of unspoken, you know, terror if you step, step out of the line. Well, I don't know if this will... This is really interesting. You mentioned the Queen. I've been told, and I see evidence for it in the disbursement of some military assets by the Queen, that she was looking at the reorganization from the Great Reset, and she was unhappy with the status that the Bank of England would have, or the, uh, the Bank of London, I should say. And um, um, she was once an agitator with the, US, the uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth off the coast of Ukraine in the Black Sea, along with two other ships. And they withdrew, and now, reportedly, they're part of a major task force involving the Ronald Reagan carrier from the U.S., three small flat tops of India, two ships from Australia, and they are protecting 250,000 Indian troops on the Chinese border. And, um, and it's almost like she has flipped an allegiance because she's really angry about what's going to result from the Great Reset. Um, do you see any other evidence that she's had any shift or change of heart? No, um, I, that was news to me. What you what you were saying? Um, she is a figurehead, and uh, you know the power is not when they say the crown. They don't mean her. They mean, of course, mm -hmm. the city of London, right? That extraterritorial, you know, Bank of London, Bank of England. And um, I was working with a woman in Europe. Um, who had done a lot of research on where a lot of the world's money goes. And she named the Bank of England, the Vatican Bank, and the Bank of International Settlements in Geneva as a repository of basically all the, all the money in the world. And um, 
because these are they're outside any territorial jurisdiction. Um, so I think in terms of her role, it's um, especially after she was convicted in a criminal court in Europe in 2013 of complicity and genocide. Um, I mean, personally, because she had abducted 10 children from an Indian school and they were never seen again. Um, and then the eyewitnesses conveniently died before they were going to give testimony about that. But I, I don't know. I like it's, it's a good question to me. It's an open question about her, you know, the exact how much role she plays. Well, I was told that, um, and this came from someone who's a retired RSOF, your major military special forces operation uh, in America, and he said his Pentagon sources told him that the Queen has assumed control in a lot of military action, and she can actually contact a commander on a ship personally. And he maintains mm. that's what happened here when they sent the HMS Queen Elizabeth along with two other British ships, you know, off the coast of India. The evidence for this is pretty strong that this uh, task force exists. It's actually very strong. And we've been on, many of us have been on this story for about five weeks now. And uh, at that same week, and to kind of collaborate this, Japan came out and told China, if you attack Taiwan, we will attack you. And that was thought to be the cover for the South China Sea, kind of being vacant of American ships because they were tied up with India. And uh, it, it, it really starts to all fit together. Uh, but I just wonder if she could have had a change of heart about her allegiance with uh, communist China because they were certainly going down that path. I, I'm hopeful that that's the case. But I want to really go to another issue here. And it has to do with the takeover of British Columbia. And I saw a video that was actually snatched off my website. I did not delete it. It was snatched. And I published it, and it ran for about four hours. And overnight, it was taken down. And it was a video sent to me by a lady in Canada. And her friend um, secretly shot the video. And she was coming back into uh, British Columbia. And I think it was from the States. And they wanted her to go into lockdown, but she said she had an exemption. But that's not even what I was concerned about. What I saw there was they had Canadian officials handling the case, dealing with the lady, but behind them, menacing, was a man in a Chinese military uniform. And he appeared to be a high-ranking officer. And they were deferring to him in sidebar conversations. And the, the yeah. message to me was... The Canadians may appear to be in control of airports in British Columbia, but the Chinese are actually controlling them. Do you think I got something accurate? Yeah, very, very much, because we know also that all the security systems and computer hardware and everything for all the border agencies, security and embassies, that, that's been run by Chinese companies for over 10 years. So it's, it's a, a very complete infiltration, you know. Yeah, and the take it off my website. I have really good security. I mean, we're talking to do something like that. You got to be on a level with the NSA. And right. uh, you know, I've had this discussion with my webmaster, and I mean, he's really high profile. And he just was. He said, "Are you sure you did this?" And I said, "Yeah." And I produced two witnesses to him, and I said, "Look, they'll tell you they were they saw it too, and they were shocked." But I said, "When I got up in the morning, it was gone." It's as if it never existed. Uh, but the video was really clear, and the lady was very defiant. I, I was actually pretty proud of the lady. She said, I'm not going to your lockdowns. I'm not doing your quarantines. Um, and she was really being obstinate, and she was drawing a crowd. 
and it made them very, very nervous. It's like they didn't want this exposed in front of the public. And um, mm-hmm. it, it just, to me, said there is a little bit of a spirit of defiance. The other thing that we're getting is um, Chinese combat troops with air support have now moved into British Columbia. In other words, they could be operationalized for an invasion. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, well, there's film of Chinese uh, doing troop movements and um, on Salt Spring Island. These are the Gulf Islands. Um, you know, if you're in Seattle and you go north, you hit all these Gulf Islands. And you go north far enough into Canada, and that's where these maneuvers have been seen, also off the west coast of Vancouver Island. And so, it, you know, it's, it's constant. You get these reports all the time, but, of course, it's got to be through alternative sources because you're not going to get it in the mainstream. Yeah, I've been told that some of the drills are for amphibious invasion. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that? No, I haven't heard about that specifically, no. Yeah, and I was also told there's paratrooper drills which would match an amphibious invasion. You drop the paratroopers in to take out uh, command and control as much as you can, then you bring in the, the, the invasion and you have the air cover. Do you know the scope of the Air Force that China has moved into British Columbia? Do you have any idea? No, I don't. You know, at that level of, of, of detail, I don't have that kind of information. But, uh, you know, I hear stories all the time. I'm moving a lot of different circles, and it keeps coming up all the time about the, the overt presence, um, you know, Everywhere. Are their activities primarily confined, and I'm speaking militarily, are they primarily confined to British Columbia, or do they extend uh, to Edmonton and other provinces? It extends into Alberta, which is immediately east of British Columbia, and one of the reasons is that's where a lot of the, um, the uh, tar sands and the oil deposits are. So they've definitely targeted both British Columbia and Alberta, for their kind of net and beyond that is the prairies and then Ontario. So I think that's definitely where they're, they're kind of moving in first through the West. Um, any evidence of heavy mechanized such as tanks? I haven't seen, I haven't, you see, I don't think it's happened on that level yet. Not that it won't, but, um, they're a lot more subtle than that, you know, in the way they operate. And, um, I mean, you know, they read Sun Tzu in the art of war. They know how to do it, right? Yeah. So, in other words, they're not flaunting it, but they're not. They can't hide it because it's too big. No, I mean, here's the level of, uh, that I've seen it happening um, in in one of the cities in Vancouver Island um, in Nanaimo. There was a mall, and this Chinese national, she wasn't even a Canadian citizen, Chinese citizen, uh, Chinese woman came over and bought the mall and immediately decreed that everyone entering the mall had to be tested for COVID. And some people got very upset, got out the placards. Within about 20 minutes of their protest, six RCMP squad cars showed up and arrested all of them for standing on public sidewalk. And, you know, that's that's how it happens, right? And it, it's, um, you know, that kind of collusion. So, I mean... It's, it doesn't all happen at once. It'll, it's just this gradual kind of wave building, right? That is... Uh, where do you think this is leading to? Rather than me ask these probing questions, let me kind of jump to the end square here. What's the checkmate? Well, I mean, you know, it's the, in a bigger sense, it's the whole geopolitical battle between China, Russia, and America. And, you know, America's a declining power. China's a rising one. 
Russia's trying to broker the whole thing. But I mean, it, it's really about that that kind of takeover, um, and and they've got their eyes on the whole continent. Clearly, I mean, they you know, it's Canada's invaluable to them for the resources. So we're we're gone. I mean, we're we're right in the the in the um, crosshairs. But I think the whole whole continent is up for grabs. Working from the west, you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, they have encapsulated us, and, and I don't know if you're aware of this. I've been working with some people in Mexico, and uh, the northern states of Mexico are just an absolute mess. Um, they're dominated by the cartels. The Chinese are behind the cartels, and primarily the Sinaloas, but the CJNGs as well. And they are mechanizing them into light infantry. Uh, one of the governors uh, of, I forget the name of the state now, Borders, Texas, his name is Jose DeBaca. He's under indictment from AMLO and the Mexican government if he leaves his state. And he released a couple hundred thousand immigrants when Biden was inaugurated. And reportedly, he's replaced them with Chinese national soldiers, and they're staying in the same facilities, mm-hmm. largely abandoned buildings and newly constructed buildings. And um, they do probing actions across the border. I've had Border Patrol tell me that they catch them and they just turn them around. Um, what I'm what I'm leading to here is this: is I have to. It just looks to me militarily like the western part of the United States is going to be caught in a pincher movement, you know, between uh, troops coming out of China and uh, the cartel uh, trained now by China and the Chinese nationals coming up through our southern border. Do, do you have any information at all that ties any of this together? Well, not directly, but the military aspect, although that seems very likely, but to me, makes sense. But um, one thing I didn't mention was that there's one of my sources in Ottawa tells me that there's a bill before Parliament that would uh, was sponsored by China, which actually would absolve China from any liability under Canadian laws. So in other words, China can ignore any Canadian laws when they're operating in Canada they like. They're, they're like a nation operating with another nation under their own laws, not Canadian laws. So to me, that's like a setup for a complete takeover, right? Yeah, I would um, say that, yes. It, it almost makes Canada a colony of China. It does make it, and in practice, we already are. But um, in that sense, if the takeover is that complete, I wonder how much of a military action would be necessary, at least in Canada. I could see in the States, because I think there'd be more resistance. Um. Gun ownership in Canada, how common is it? Oh, very difficult. Um, you, everything has to be registered. You, can only, you, you can't get a handgun. Uh, unless you're uh, in a rifle club registered and you've got to check in every six months and, and you know, give all this information and everything. Uh, semi-automatic weapons, banned. Um, you can, you, I could go down the store and get a rifle, but I'd have to be registered and they monitor you and they can come and seize it at any point. Okay, so it's kind of America's worst nightmare. And see, the reason I bring that up, we have an estimated 400 million handguns with 160 million Americans, and any invading force is going to find that to be formidable. And we have 7 well, million that, veterans of fighting age. Um, that's a formidable well, that's what defense. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, Canada's a walk-in because of the partly the gun control and also the mentality of the people. Yeah. But I, it'll be a t- tougher, uh, tougher sledding in America for sure. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking, too, and so they need overwhelming forces. But you, you, we have so many conflicted politics here, too, and I'm going to tell you something I'm pretty sure you haven't heard in Canada. 
but uh, Biden does not have complete control of all aspects of the military. And uh, this has been very, very clear since January. And I've had some very high-ranking people actually talk to me about this. And I've got a childhood friend that consults with a major military group who has told me this, and uh, someone who I've been friends with my entire life. And all these sources are not wrong. Uh, by, I'll just give you a couple examples, uh, and, and I'm going to lead this back into Canada. Biden does not control the Space Force. He could fire the head, but he doesn't control the inner workings. People aren't loyal to him. He doesn't control the submarine fleet. He doesn't control vast swaths of the Army, does not control any of the Marines whatsoever. They are fiercely still loyal to Trump, uh, including the Marine Corps Commandant, and I'm really surprised he's not been replaced. Um, Milley and some related forces that he has direct supervision over um, is loyal to Biden. So we have a real division here in our military, and this is not even a dispute. I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, you turn around the corner and ask a question to an expert, they're gonna tell you that. Even people in DHS know about this. So coming back to Canada, is there official resistance to this takeover by China where there could actually be armed resistance? Not that I can see. There's no political opposition at all. There's no segment of the military that's ever come out and said that they would resist. Among police, you find people very receptive to a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, but it, you see that er, everything is very centralized in Canada. You, like, they don't have the autonomy that state governments have in America. It's all centralized in Ottawa, the federal government, and or in, like I say, the Privy Council, which is a handful of bureaucrats. Um, and so, no, I, I, like I say, I think it would be a walk-in in Canada. Yeah, that's really, that's so tragic because we need allies wherever we can find them. And um, in Mexico, we have, Trump established an alliance with AMLO that a lot of people don't really want to popularize in the media. But he's not on board with everything. But he's, he's pretty much, I'm going to say this, he did not sanction the caravans of immigrants coming into the country and most of them did not come up through Mexico most of them were dropped off by ship and by plane in the three northern states of Mexico that are basic rebellion against the government and uh, this is where they continue to come in from do you have a fentanyl problem there as a result of China as well oh big time I know that from doing a lot of street ministry uh, the death rate has spiked over the last five years from fentanyl and uh, the cops admit that the Chinese are bringing it in in a huge way because they control, you know, triad, they control the underworld. They wiped out the Latin American gangs 10 years ago, and they've taken over the whole underworld in Vancouver. Is it the Chinese directly, or are they using the Sinaloas? Uh, no, directly. That's okay. what I get. See, that's a different model than what we're seeing here in the States. Um, we're seeing Sinaloa takeovers in southern Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, and California, but it's being done by the Sinaloas on behalf of the Chinese. You know, I, I don't know if you heard of this or not, but there was a Chinese general who bought a huge swath of land in South Texas, one that could be used to land bombers. Did you hear about that? No. Yeah, this was actually made our mainstream media. Fox News actually reported on this. And we've been all over this. And one of the things I do know, and this comes from law enforcement in southern Arizona to me, there are Sinaloas now going into ranchers near the border who have unusually large ranches, and they're telling them, we're going to build things and we'll pay you well, but if you resist, we will kill your entire family. And this has actually been confirmed by a sheriff in uh, in southern Arizona, in Cochise County. 
Um, and and so and by the way, he has a contract out on him. They've tried to kill him three times, and uh, that's pretty well documented on our side of the fence as well too. So the Sinaloas are used as um, cutouts. They're they're basically the proxies for the Chinese. But right. what you're telling me is a different model in Canada, where the Chinese are actually, in, like in Vancouver, they're actually taking over the drug trade? Oh, they've taken it over. I mean, there's no wow. need for them to operate through a proxy. I mean, they do everything directly in Canada. They can, right? Well, I, I, I suppose that there's no pretense of law and order, yeah. No. Yeah. Here, that would be more difficult to pull off. Um, mm-hmm. That's why it's easier to blame it on the Sinaloas than it is on the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, so there's a buffer. So the takeover, the reason I'm doing this is I'm trying to get in my mind and have our audience see there's a difference a little bit in terms of the takeover of Canada and the takeover the of the United States and particularly northern Mexico where the Chinese are using different strategies. The direct, oh, yeah. in, the direct involvement's concerning because, see, this goes back to what I asked you earlier about control of the airports, control of local governments, and so forth. So they basically have entrenched themselves, and you said Al Capone earlier, this sounds like an Al Capone enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they don't have to worry about what you get in America, where there's that, that sense of independence and people standing up for themselves. I mean, it, Canadians are just, I don't know, it's hard to describe unless you're here. But Okay, well, I'm going to ask yeah. you a really hard question. Yeah. Back in 2017, a document was leaked, and uh, the authenticity is, is easily confirmed. And it was a speech made by Defense Minister Wee Fang to the uh, Communist Chinese Party about their future goals. And he specifically mentioned that uh, they want to occupy the United States for its resources because they, they're kind of like Japan before World War II. They're expanding their industrialization, but they don't really have the raw materials or the labor force necessary to do it. So they need to expand to a place like the United States that has the resources and they said they're not interested in co-occupancy, which meant genocide. Now, that doesn't mean that the global powers are going to let them do that, but that's their goal, is genocide against Americans. In fact, he specifically said the only ones that will be spared are the 14 million Chinese that live inside the United States. Don't Canadians have that kind of fear as well? That when, when they're done taking everything over, are they going to commit genocide against us? You never hear any of that talked about, including the alternative news. I mean, it, 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 can, Canadians are deeply in denial about themselves and their own history of genocide, so I don't think they would imagine that happening, from what I can see. But um, I don't think that's inconceivable at all. I mean, it, it follows, you know. Well, this is one of the things that's pushing dissent in our military against Biden, because they see him being complicit with China, and they know they're dead if they if we become an occupied nation. I mean, this is kind of the bottom line. Um, and the thing I would be worried about, too, if I were a Canadian official, the, no one likes brown shirts, people who tra- betray their own people. I'd be concerned the Chinese would do away with me, too. At what point do they totally take over? I mean, what will that look like in China? Will it look any different than it does now? Well, I don't, you see, in terms of takeover, I don't think it has to be obvious and brutal. Um, you know, they, like, again, you know, they read Sun Tzu, and they says the best way to defeat an enemy is get them to destroy themselves, get them to fight each other, uh, tear themselves apart, and, um, you know, so, I mean, they can do all of those things without having to have the troops come in. I think it's already well along the way, 
like what they've been able to grab in Canada legally through the government, right? So I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I'm not sure. Well, if the notion that I asked you about very early in the show is true, that Canada's reaping uh, huge swaths of newly developed or melting uh, ice to fresh water, um, that would give the Chinese basic control over the world's most important resource. Because when you look at projections in, in the future, a lot of military planners will tell you future wars will be fought over water. And Yeah, and but a quarter, a, a quarter of all fresh water in the world is in Canada. And, well, the great, the Great Lakes and the northern waters. Wow, that that's pretty amazing. So, what you're basically telling me, there's no resistance against this takeover. No, no, not that there wouldn't be. But, um, you know, it's it at this point, no, it's it's like a, they're walking in, taking it. What about your university settings, uh, professors, academic freedom? Um, Nobody talks about Chinese takeover. You're you're immediately accused of being a racist, and they don't want to talk to you anymore. Um, so you know, it's at that level. The same kind of denial the academics had about the proof of genocide that I was publishing for many years, right out of their own archives. Yeah, half these children were dying every year, and yet they they just ignored it until I published it. So, when the Chinese are snatching these people, as you described earlier. Do you think they're ending up uh, on a one-way trip to organ trafficking? Likely, yeah. Um, it depends. I mean, they can't direct grab anybody because I'm a drug addict. You don't want their organs. But True. Um, there's a whole system. One of the things we found in Vancouver hospitals is um, the Catholic Church was sponsoring a system where young girls who got pregnant, they would sign over in utero the baby to the church, and the baby was then trafficked. Uh, to you know, to families, to you know, who needed a child, whoever. It's a whole. It's called the BFA protocol, baby for adoption protocol. All the hospitals have it, and as part of that, of course, they can make any baby go missing for any purpose. So, um, it's right for that, you know, anyone to come in and 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 run that. And the Chinese are running the whole. Uh, it's called Providence Healthcare, and uh, it was traditionally run by the Catholic Church, but now it's Chinese-operated, and you see Providence nurses down on uh, along Skid Row all the time shoving needles into the arms of homeless guys, and, you know, even hiring them to get others to line up for the shot. I mean, it it's, it's you know, I could go on for hours about this stuff, but I mean, you see that everywhere now. Well, what, what are they giving them in the shot? I'm sorry if I missed that. Well, sometimes to kill them, sometimes it's experimental drugs, some, and, and nowadays, of course, they claim it's the COVID shot. They don't look for people's permission. Um, they don't need legal permission. Most of the homeless people are Native, and, and Native people aren't citizens, so you can do whatever you want to them legally. My goodness. Um, there's a group, it's a euthanasia group, and I loosely follow them, and they have me on their mailing list. And they track around the world disguised euthanasia of undesirable populations and people. You putting you're putting me in the mindset that this could be a practice there, what you just described. Oh yeah, well it, it's it's the ongoing genocide. It's um, um, targeting native people for um, you know extermination. It's what, um, yeah. What that, about non, what about non-native? Well, as well, I mean, it's 
it's like what I encountered back in the 80s when I started doing street ministry in Vancouver is that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're white or native, you're fair game if you're living on the street. And there'd be regular roundups where all the homeless would just vanish. And, um, you know, you try to track them and they've just disappeared. So, I mean, those disappearances are fairly common, uh, you know. Wow. The, uh, the, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story about Maricopa County where I live, and it's really the center of controversy right now with regard to the, uh, the 2020 election and the audit that's ongoing. And um, I've linked county and state officials to strong communist Chinese ties. I mean, strong, inappropriate Chinese ties. But here, here's what happened a few years ago. A county assessor, someone who does no more than look at books, making $70,000 a year, which is modest income. He was tagged as the only guy involved in this operation. Marshall Island's pregnant women flown in to Maricopa County. He put them up in East Mesa Homes, which is a suburb of Phoenix, and then he arranged for them to have the babies delivered, and then the babies were sold off and the women were trafficked. Our county would not prosecute this. This was a huge story for four days. I mean, this dominated our news. Then someone flipped the switch, and you never heard any more about it. And this guy looked like he was going to get off. Well, then the Trump people come in, and because they crossed state lines with their venture, that enabled the federal government to become involved, and he was tried in Arkansas, and they wanted 40 years, but the judge only gave him six. Um, Does this put you in the mind of anything you're seeing in Canada? Where county oh, yeah, official, our county yeah, officials wouldn't prosecute this deal. Yeah, well, that's the norm. Whenever uh, child traffickers or you know notorious serial child rapists, they, Canada's got the lowest conviction rate of any country in the world for child rapists. Um, the the government recently lowered the mandatory sentence for child rape to one year from five. So I mean, all these signs that you know it isn't a crime; it's an act of business this kind of trafficking going on. One thing I found what you might find interesting is um, I got a call from a woman, Susan Blandy, who, that's her pseudonym, she used to be part of a whole child trafficking cult, kind of a satanic ritual family network. And she said she used to get flown out to the Gila Indian Reservation. I think that's in Arizona. Um, and she said it's, it, they were routinely grabbing the children from there for ritual killings and, and all that other dirty stuff they do. But the Indian reservations in America are a big target of this because, like in Canada, they're kind of autonomous and people can go missing there and nobody ever cares or investigates, right? So that's kind of in your backyard, I think. Well, it is very much in our backyard, and uh, we do know that one of our native tribes, and right now it's under investigation, so I'm not going to say which one, but uh, they're, they're complicit with... Um, illegal immigration, fentanyl traffic and distribution in cooperation with the Sinaloa drug cartel, and they have strong Chinese ties. And uh, they're deeply entrenched with their interests into our state and county governments. Um, What we're finding here in Arizona is I look at how this election was stolen from Donald Trump, and it's, it's fairly easy to prove. And what we're finding consistently are county and state officials who have deep Chinese ties, uh, undeniable Chinese ties. And if they're not Chinese ties, they're George Soros ties, but Soros is working on behalf of the communist Chinese. So we, we look at that and we just say that um, um, 
you know, so many of our, let me put it this way. The Chinese have somehow neutralized the political independence of our local and state officials in Arizona. And I suspect this is going on all over the country. I know it's happening in Georgia, particularly in Atlanta and Fulton County. Uh, but I suspect it's all over. And, and I have a feeling that in Canada, if we really broke it down, the way the Chinese got a foothold was to sweetheart deals for business, payoffs to uh, mid-level politicians and then work their way right to the top. Am I anywhere close to what you found for Canada? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think, as a matter of fact, it's been going on in Canada much longer. Um, for for one reason, they can infiltrate easily in B.C. because there's a large Asian population. And, you know, the government's been traditionally very friendly with wow. China for that reason, you know. And the child trafficking seems to always be the central theme. When we look at our border issues here, you know, I've I've got friends in DHS and two in the Border Patrol, and they tell the same stories. Uh, you've got two males that have 17 children with them, and they're claiming to be their parents, and the feds just say, yeah, go ahead and go on in. And you know it's a trafficking operation, and it's happening all the time. The central theme seems to be between Canada and the United States is also the child trafficking. And uh, that speaks to more of a global mentality, don't you think? Well, it's a, it's a huge global industry. That, you know, it's part of the human slavery network. Uh, tens of millions of people being trafficked and enslaved every year. Um, children and women, but everybody, you know. Uh, so, and it's like that example I gave from the Gila Reservation. When the social worker, worker there tried to investigate, she was arrested, and the police were all in on it. So, I mean, you find that collusion at every level, right? Well, you, you know, I think here in the United States, we're, we're, we're seeing this administration turn a blind eye to all the child trafficking that's coming in through our border. And you've got Border Patrol agents that are going crazy and sheriffs that are going crazy because they know. And even when the sheriffs are able to act locally, they're being interfered with by the feds. So it's it, it, to me, I'm hearing the same kind of patterns um, that are going on here, and it's just absolutely incredible. Um, Canada, when do you think Canada stopped being an ally of the United States? And I don't mean the Canadian people, I mean the government. Well, I think it was uh, started, the big infiltration of China's investments started in the 90s. And I think for the last 30 years, it's been pushing more and more towards China. Um, okay. You know. Well, this is uh, so disturbing. Um, and, and you really think this is going to come to some kind of final completion with complete control and not a whimper of resistance? Well, in Canada, I don't see an opposition at all. Yeah, um, no. There's more in America, but I mean, I think it's time for people to close ranks, kind of <laughs> regardless of party allegiance or anything, and say, look, you got to defend your nation from a foreign power taking over, right? Yeah, but we got people at the county commissioner level, and that's really kind of low-level government. They run a county. Not a city, not a state. They, they're running a county. And and we're finding instance after instance where they're deeply enmeshed with, with Chinese ties. And it's just it's like there's no getting away from it. And um, I'll just give you an example of our governor. Um, he had a business that um, was wasn't doing very well. It was flailing. And before he's governor, he goes into China with his business, with their permission, and they make him a multimillionaire. 
Okay, he comes out of that, and and in his first term of governor, he's addressing the National Governors Association. So he's speaking to all 50 governors, and the Chinese Chamber of Commerce was there. And this is in print in the World Tribune and also the South China. And he said, well, we know the Chinese need rare earth minerals for their military, and we're more than happy to accommodate what we have here in Arizona. That's That's how deep the betrayal is. Well, he's on the payroll. Yeah, I mean, this is treason. Chinese is a military adversary of the United States, and this is absolutely treason, Kevin, and that's what drives us crazy. And that's why I'm kind of surprised, though, because I'm telling you, the military hates the governor of Arizona, the people I talk to that are loyal to America, and I'm surprised you're not getting some of that in the military in Canada. I'm no expert on the military here. I just know individuals. Okay. But, um, but, but you know, I mean, the, the thing about the Canadian military is it's very it's tied into that whole mentality of crown authority. And um, th- there's no notion of, you know, what, like what you get in America. Um, th- there's not that sense of patriotism in Canada at all. You know what I was hoping would happen from our discussion here? That I would leave this discussion with the feeling, well, we've got some Canadian allies and we can work against this together. And it just, it just sounds like America's kind of on its own. I think there's individuals, definitely, but there's no current, there's no movement or political party or anything that's, that's resisting this, no. Well, in this country, too, there's a rising awareness, but I won't say there's a movement. Um, I'm trying to stir up things in uh, Arizona where I'm speaking to different community groups, and I'm saying your single connection with corruption here are communist Chinese ties. And I'm saying you need to eliminate all people in public office who have these these connections. And, and so I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to interest other people in doing it. But it's not very far along. But I will tell you this. The military is our best chance right now. Um, I know the military is only going to go so far with Biden destroying the military because no no one wants to be sacrificed on a battlefield because they have inferior funding or equipment. Tell people how they can follow your good work, because you do very good work. Sarah Westall speaks so highly of you, and for good reason. Yeah, I just had an interview with her this morning. She's great. Um, Murderbydecree.com is my main site with all my books, uh, the the work I've been doing for 25 years. Um, Murderbydecree.com. They're moving to set up a republic in Canada, uh, republicofkanata.ca, so K-A-N-A-T-A. I love it. Republicofkanata.ca. And if you want to write to me, I'm at um, hiddenfromhistory1 at gmail.com. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, Kevin, keep up the, the good fight. Maybe you'll gain some momentum. Um, and I just pray that that happens because um, that Canada needs more people like you promoting the truth because I think if the average Canadian knew that they might take a stand. But I want to thank you for joining us here on the Common Sense Show. And we'll have you back to talk about... Uh, your movement uh, with regard to moving towards a republic. It's fascinating. But right now we're up against a hard break and we got to say yep. sayonara. So thank you so much for joining That's us. That's okay. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Take care. Talk to you again.